Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. We're squeezing an episode in here in our busy Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> uh, although, I think it sounds like my neighbors are having more fun than I ha- I am right now. They've been partying for the past 24 hours. I don't know about you guys. I don't know. Recording a podcast sounds like the best use of one's time. We're partying <laughs> right now. Exactly. You know, the, the party that is the fantastic deal you get when you subscribe to the Glorio Network and get all of these great podcasts. Yes. Uh, listening to our podcast is far better than listening to music and dancing and eating and drinking and having a good time with your friends and family without question, (laughs) without question. But, uh, we are your friends and family. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, You only need us. You don't need anyone else in your life. Uh, well, okay. Hold on. Some, some kind of a brainwashing or something. Oh, that got dark. Anyway. Um, (laughs) so I think we have a, fun show prepared today we're gonna continue on with our format here we're gonna talk about some new stuff i'll get to rant about my current uh feelings about carol and tuesday which i think will be interesting and uh yeah let's uh, get into it but i guess uh, oh i need to introduce everybody uh i am gel and uh we have uh, our our base crew this uh, base american crew this week so running a skeleton got, crew today yeah we, we've got iro I'm still here. That's just your new. Is that just your thing? Point? Yeah, just like. Come on, uh, man! You got to come up with good bits every week. Like, well, I do, it, man. It, it, it is a step up from uh, in the early days when it was just hello. Uh, sure, you know, I, I agree. I agree. Yes. At least, at least, there's a little bit more personality there. <laughs> Thanks, jeez, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, we love we love you, Iro, and we, we we appreciate your your uh, your your presence on the podcast your, your steadfast every, every, your, your steadfast commitment to service every episode of everything that we record you are here for <laughs> us so yes uh-huh. thank you but uh we also have g with us you know i just have a lot of thoughts right now about um about a very popular uh pseudo historical fantasy tale uh filled with intrigue and politics that uh, recently uh tragically ended rather anticlimactically that's right, folks. I'm here to give my hot takes on Romance of the Three Kingdoms. <laughs> uh-huh. What, what is the actual game uh, that you're, you're talking about that just came out? Uh, okay, um... I, I've been playing the crap out of uh, Total War Three Kingdoms, which is the latest in the, uh, the, what, the Creative Assembly like tactics strategy game, uh, real-time tactics strategy game. Uh, right, the latest one. Other... They've yes. done many other historical periods, but yes. Yes, uh, yes, yes, quote-unquote historical, yes, the quote-unquote historical period <laughs> known as the, uh, the the ancient Chinese uh, romance of the three kingdoms. Uh, that has been a lot of fun, a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of political intrigue, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of, a lot of people backstabbing me, you know, I'm just out here trying to unite all of China, you know, like... Long divided, the realm must be united, and it must be united under my fucking heel. So I don't know why everybody <laughs> else is being so goddamn dramatic about this. 
you know. Uh, <sighs> so but, like the real, uh, like the real uniting of China then. Yes, yes, exactly. Like the real medieval China. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, you know what? I, I feel like somehow, despite that, you know, I think the ending of my campaign will still end uh, more excitingly than the last episode of Game of Thrones did. So, you know, oh, look forward to that. <laughs> uh, so I was hoping Game of Thrones would never make it into this podcast, but there you go. Yeah. Hmm. We're gonna, anyway, well, you know, now the show ending, like as as the Glory blog, as Glory Network is, we are always uh, the most. We always bring the most relevant uh, um, uh, discussion and dialogue to to the zeitgeist. You know, we're talking about you know the legendary nineteen eighty eight science fiction OVA, legendary you know Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and uh, Evangelion. Know. You know, we you know we are always talking about the most relevant things. So I feel like it's only natural that now that Game of Thrones has ended that we should start our uh, recap and discussion podcast. Yeah. Now that we've had a week to let it set up, settle in, right? It's a week later, but anyway, um, I was going to ask what's everybody been up to, but I guess we know what G you've been doing. Um, uh, Iro, uh, what, what have you yeah, so, uh, uh, asked me, or interesting? You asked me to bring this up on the podcast because we've been shit talking it for the past week. Um, <laughs> Yes. I picked up a book recently. It was for free, um, but I got a copy of Mecha Samurai Empire. Uh, oh boy, that sounds very cool, Eero. A book. In fact, that sounds like something right up my alley. Indeed. Do uh, tell. It's uh, it's a novel. Um, I believe it's a pseudo-sequel to a book titled United States of Japan. Oh, uh, which oh. Um, won the Seiun Award in Japan a few years back. And I believe Mecha Samurai Empire is up for this year's Seiun Award. Um, right. I don't think it's very good. It. I, so I did not get that impression based on what you were. Yeah, some of based, the stuff you've been saying about it. Yeah, based on some of the, the you you posted pictures of some of the pages in our, uh, yes. our Discord and. Uh, no, that book doesn't seem great. Allow me um, to read the first page. Um, after copyright and dedication and endorsements, etc., the first page is as follows. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of Japan and to the uh. empire for which it stands, one nation under the emperor, indivisible, with order and justice for all. Uh. But don't you get it? They took... Guys, don't you get it? They took the Pledge of Allegiance... But added in surface level Japanese tropes into it. Yes. So the plot of this book appears to be that uh, back during World War II in the 1940s, uh, Japan, a Japanese scientist saw a tank and saw a samurai standing next to the tank and was like, "What if I combine these?" And so they made <laughs> they made. Metrics. Uh, Wait! Oh my god! I I remember reading that passage, but you sing it out loud just. Like, that seems like the most fucking, like, like, that is the most weeb fucking, like, premise for how mechs were created is, like, because here's the thing, right? Like, as somebody who has studied, you know, history quite extensively, I know what Japanese tanks looked like, and I know what Japanese samurai looked like, and the idea of, in the 1940s, just, like, a fucking samurai, like, I imagine your bog standard, like, lamellar, like, armor, like... Dude with a hat and a mask with a mustache, ass samurai, just 
happened to walk into a field. It was it was supposed to be like a military parade or something. But uh, sure, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it's just the image of yes. like that is what inspires some fucking dude in uh-huh. in 1940s so, Japan uh, to invent mechs. Japan having mechs in uh, during the Pacific Front of World War II allows the Axis to win, and so. Germany and Japan split America down the middle. And, uh... Well, Eero, this sounds like a pretty interesting premise. I feel like you could probably write some very interesting uh, <laughs> uh, um, um, passages about the implications of uh, what does an America ruled by Japan look like, especially a Japan that isn't pacified in a post-war occupation, an imperial Japan that survives into the 90s. Surely this book has some interesting things to say about the implications of the policies and the sociological beliefs that were held by 1940s imperial Japan. Uh, what if in 1994 we had VR video games and giant robots and the internet? <sighs> well, do you like a hit video game, Liquid Gear? Oh, oh really? What about, Liquid Gear? What about hit video game, Bionic Commander, where you play like, as a Japanese soldier with a bionic so, leg? Fighting, whoa, a bionic fighting, leg? Fighting evil FDR. So this is, so this is just... Instead of Hitler. So this is... What if we went into the Mech Bay and all of the Mech Bays were named after the bosses from Mega Man 2? Stop! You're hurting me. What if we uh, went to college and we studied the gray literature, the gray minds of literature, such as Hideaki Anno and Hayao Miyazaki? What if your college I- was taught by Hideo I- Kojima? Anno and Miyazaki <laughs> and Kojima would not exist in an alternate history Japan where Imperial Japan won. Like. <laughs> These are these are all artists and authors who were like strictly defined by the experiences they had growing up, whether that was like the cultural like media that they consumed or their experiences in a post-war Japan. Like these you can't do this. You can't you can't do this. This is just uh, like this is just I mean this is just ready player one, right? Like Let's let's player one was even weebier. Let's 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 yeah. let's let's jerk off by referencing a bunch of stuff I liked and the like five things I know about Japan and stuff them into a You see, we have to go to the you know, mech college and learn Kenjutsu. Oh my god. And I uh, just it's just it's just we're training like, with our Bokuto <sighs> and our like, you know good learning the EI. Oh my god. Just it's like Here's the thing, right? Like, I think, I think, you know, look, uh, the latest Wolfenstein game, I actually enjoyed a ton because it actually, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it too much here because you guys have heard me talk about it in the Discord, but like, but because, like, I mean, the premise of that, of the latest Wolfenstein game is that, uh, so, you know, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, America lose the war and is occupied by the Germans. And it kind of takes place in an alternate history, like 20, 30 years after the war is already over and kind of examines like, what does, what does America look like, you know, under Nazi rule? And, you know, the kind of insidious message of actually, how little does white America change under Nazi rule, you know, and it asks and, and, and deals in some very, like, and I don't think it always lands the mark. You know, I think, frankly, like, while they're very funny, all of the scenes with Hitler in the new Wolfenstein game are a little a little cringeworthy. But, like, overall, I think the game does ask 
not answer, ask some interesting questions. The problem with Mecha Samurai Empire, based on the pages I've read and what you've told us, Eero, is like, this seems like a book where, like, the person, like, the writer arrived at a conclusion first of, like, oh, I want to write a story about, like, giant robots in, like, a, like, kind of 90s gonzo pseudo-cyberpunk setting. There's nothing wrong with that, inherently. And, right. No, th- that can be cool. But then they worked backwards from there, and the conclusion they arrived at is, I'm going to write an alternate history about Japan winning the war, and then not deal with any of the, like, deeply problematic implications of, like, what what that alternate world looks well, like. Well, you see, there's a homegrown, there's a group of American terrorists called uh, the George Washingtons, and, uh, They've uh, they've cobbled to, they've cobbled together mechs from uh, a lot of other mechs, and they've named them all after former presidents. See, and uh, uh, their leader, their leader is a crazy visionary who's uh, had dreams and visions of of another world where uh, America won the war against Japan, and I guess and, uh, look- and the world entered a, a era of peace and prosperity. Yeah, that's that's, that's what actually happened. But uh. <laughs> look, I don't, you know, I feel like we, I don't want to give this book more time than it deserves. But I think, I think the thing I, I really want to get across is like, I think where this book really missteps beyond all the like basic, like all the basic like narrative pratfalls that you've mentioned is like alternate history, where all you do is just do a complete one eighty on every historical trope, is not a very interesting alternate history. Like it is the easiest possible way to do alternate history, right? Like the most boring way you can do alternate history is oh, what if A was B and one was two? Like, I think the most interesting alternate histories are the ones where some stuff changes, but then a lot of stuff doesn't, and kind of gets into like, you know, not to put on my fucking you know Legend of the Glory Heroes discourse cap on in this podcast, but like dealing with like oh like. How much of society actually changes because of a change in leadership, and as a result of how of what stays the same, it makes what changes all the more striking and 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 uh, interesting, I guess. And it feels like this book doesn't really do any of that. Has Not no really, intention no. of exploring um, anything other than the author wanting to name drop stuff from Japan he liked, is what it sounds like. Also, they're still fighting Nazis. Like right, like that's they're like, like it oh feels... no, there's war starting between the United States of Japan and the, the Germany side. Um, right, like this weird fucking implication. That, oh, Japan, Im- Imperial Japan are the good guys fighting against the Nazis. Seems very. It's it feels like again. I don't I don't know this author's backstory. I don't know what they studied, but it very much feels like somebody who like, you know. Honestly, it feels like a weeb. It feels like a weeb in America who grew up on, like, American entertainment media. So, like, they have a baseline understanding that the Nazis are bad. But also because they're a weeb, you know, they just consume a bunch of Japanese media as well. But haven't really, like, done their work to learn about, like, you know, Japan's own rather sordid history, you know, from that time period. Yeah, I guess my problem is if like if tonally this was a lot sillier, I would probably be okay with a lot of the stuff. But it tries to, like all the endorsements are about how it's thought provoking and serious and interesting, and you know like an amazing what if premise, etc. And it's like it's not really any of those things. It's just kind of a, like very pulpy mech 
military thing, but it wants to be taken seriously as like a historic, like pseudo what if historical fiction thing? Right. Question mark. But like, it's I'm not. I don't enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to throw too much shade, but I think. Boy, look, uh, I mean, like, look, we we throw plenty of shade on bad anime. (laughs) I think it's only appropriate that we throw shade on, you know, bad books every now and then, too. I think I'm just annoyed that this isn't somebody's, like, fan fiction, and it's actually a published book that people pay money for and is up for awards. But, uh... I mean, again, it's like, you know, we, again, we, we, you know, I always want to avoid getting too deep into this territory, but, like... You know, it sometimes definitely, it definitely. I feel like, especially you know, us here on this podcast, we we sometimes get that feeling of like, you know, are we the, the, are we the crazies? Is, right? Like, is the asylum running the show, and like, we're the crazy ones? Like, nah, man. You know, because like, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, again, I don't want to get this all. Oh, mainstream audiences, you know, they have low standards, but like, you know, sometimes it kind of feels that <laughs> sometimes way. The shoe fits. Yeah. <sighs> But uh, so that's what I've been probably. doing. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's. Uh, I don't know. What, I don't know what to say about that. I will have to. <laughs> is there? So that's like the sequel you said. To, so there's like another book, so. or or related so. or something. It's the same. I author. think they are related. Um, yeah. Well, you know, let's just hope that uh, Planet With is the one that wins the Saiyan Awards then, or uh, well, it's a, there's there's different categories. Yeah. It's, up, oh, it's, up, okay, for the, it's okay. up for the best translated novel category. Oh, that's highly specific. Okay, I was gonna say. I feel in all seriousness, I was gonna say. I don't think this thing has a fucking chance if it's being put next to like Planet With and like uh, what else? What else got Grid nominated? Man. I've already forgotten. Gridman. Yeah, Gridman. Right, right, Gridman. But like in its own little you know, niche category. But if, right, if it's in its own little niche. You know, that's kind of like you know not to like denigrate it, but that's like when you know you win the like best makeup award in the Oscars. You know, it's like right. you're in such a narrow lane that like yes, it's of course an achievement that should be you know lauded, but also like how much competition is there really? You know? Yeah. Hmm. All right. I'd be interested. I'll be interested to see what happens with with the Sayun Awards. That aside. I don't know. Maybe this is all a dark port. Maybe Eero has un- accidentally like fucking activated his dark power. Oh no! You know, his, oh no! His dark, this time. His, his dark random manga theater powers with Mecha Samurai Empire, and we'll all be talking about fucking the Mecha Samurai Empire anime in like spring 2020 oh, no. in our like anime preview podcast. I can see it now. It, it, don't uh, do this to me. Some kind of like, and I'm, some kind of like, I'll have to watch it. I'll have to watch it. You know, like, some kind of like co-production with Netflix. Oh, it's gonna be all CG, and uh, I can Yo, see it now. We- <laughs> I don't want to play inside baseball right now, but Eero, we got to get our thing off the ground. Like, we got to get that thing <sighs> off the ground. I'm working, I'm working on it, dude. All right, <laughs> let's uh, let's move along before we get too inside baseball here. Um, okay, let's let, let's let's uh, move along to the news. Let's talk about the important topics. Great. Well, <laughs> yes. Quote, What's quote, in the news quote, today, Joe? Topics. I've jotted down a few things we can talk about, and let's kick things off with. Uh, Talking about UFO table and some of their troubles they've been having. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when I first read this headline, I thought it said the president just stepped down, and then I realized later uh, the president of UFO table just stepped down from some like 
anime event committee thing that he was the head of. Oh, so he didn't even actually step yeah, down. Like, He's... I guess it is still notable because that he, there's been no reason given, and everyone is still assuming that it's related to uh, you know, him kind of withdrawing from things after their right. into their recent tax troubles, which yeah, I mean, for, you know, so for, re- for reference, Jufote Bull is uh, being investigated for alleged tax fraud. I believe yes. is what they they took they uh, skimmed some off the top of a uh, from a charity auction for the 2011 which uh, is pretty tsunami. S- pretty scummy, if true. Like, don't steal from charity. That's that's like really gross if that's true. They uh, have to fund Fate Zero somehow, right, guys? Also. Pay your taxes. Yeah, yeah, because the and I guess we 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 keep saying allegedly because no charges have actually been brought out, but this was uncovered in like some kind of public records or something like that. So I don't know. To me, it sounds like when there's smoke, there's fire in this instance. But either way, you know, UFO table has been tangled up in that. Um, I mean, it sounds like if that was a problem, maybe. Because they're, they're, I think they owe about $3.5 million, they were saying. Surely there's enough fake money. You make that in like two weeks in, in Grand Order or whatever. Like, right. well, I, I, don't know how much, I don't know how much money UFO tables making off Grand Order, but I'm sure... Sony could, will bail them out, probably. Look, like, I mean, I think it's all connected, How many man. copies did fucking Heaven's Feel sell? Like 60,000 or some shit? Like, yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, I think at its core, right, it's like... Like uh, what I said at the start, don't steal from charity. <laughs> pay your taxes. Yeah, you know, I think like, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. You know, yeah. if if this is actually you know, if it turns out that you know there are actual, if we find reasonable, actionable proof, then like yeah, the CEO probably should step down, or they should at least be held financially accountable. You know, I mean, let's be fucking real. You know, I'm all gonna be like honest. Three point five million is a fucking drop in the bucket. That's fucking chump change. Right. Like, like you can't, you know, like on a corporate yeah, sad, level, yeah. on a corporate level, like the sad fact that that's cons- like, if, if you can even like get that much out of a corporation for something they did wrong, that you can already consider that a minor victory should tell you like, you know, yeah. how fucked everything is. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I guess at its, you know, also at the same time though, I hope this doesn't, you know, disrupt the lives of, you know, you know, the people lowered down the rung too much, you know, the people who had nothing to do with this, right? Like one of these days, like hopefully uh, one of these days we'll get a good news story about an anime studio, right? Not like uh, stealing <laughs> from charity and working their employees to death for no money. Um, yeah, it's, it's that's a bad look. So, yeah. Uh, well, you know what? You know what? that You know, that all said. Demon Slayer still looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. <laughs> maybe that maybe that'll help them pay their back taxes. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see about that. We're still watching that, no, but there's no. a reason we're not really covering it in this podcast. Speaking so. of you uh, table adjacent stuff, yes, yes. So I don't know how much it was uh, actually talk about this, but I wanted to mention uh, Calafina, who uh, has been in many UFO UFO table and fate related productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, broke up in March and they're already trying to get back together. Well, um, I mean, it was basically understood by everybody that they broke up because of when like manager stuff, because like, yeah. you can cause you're a quit because they gave her to some like shitty new manager or something. Yeah. And then that like caused problems for Calfina and they had to break up. 
So it, it's just it's it's just like so sad that you have to like record company politics record company politics because like they they couldn't like we all kind of inferred that based on the the situation the situation but like officially you know they had to put on the whole airs of like oh you know after all this time we're breaking up and moving on to other projects and everything and Uh i mean now we're now that they're you know released from their obligations or whatever it's like two months later and like Hey, let's get the gang back together. <laughs> sure. I mean, hey, why not? Like, honestly, if the only thing that was really stopping them was like just bad leadership, like, like fuck it, like why not leave and then like just you know get back together without the toxic elements and do your own thing, you know? Like, I think, you know, I I try to see this as good news, like assuming yeah, that sure. you know they are getting back together because you know they've excised the toxic elements of like what originally caused them to like break up. In the I think first there's place. like one person so. who's still under contract at the studio or something who would have to quit or so- something like yeah, that. So like, Hey, you know, if this means that we get Calafina doing like doing their thing, know, the, doing their Calafina the, thing, their Calafina thing. Yes. Yes. Be the Calafina thing of being like, maybe the only, the only <laughs> interesting f- female music group in Japan then you know well, that so does, be it. that does anime inter openings but yeah yes yes right what but about it does AKB anime AKB48G uh yeah so so i i so i think what we've learned so far is that uh, anime studios are evil and record companies oh are, we've known that for uh, a million uh, goddamn years yes so let's just uh fucking, I, i'm pretty sure it's like an open secret that the japanese record industries is like fucking almost to the man entirely like like yakuza affiliated down to its core so yeah so anyway that'll be good to get them back together because like you said g i think they <laughs> i think they fill a role like we like the, the only like grown-ass women uh singing anime songs uh yeah sorry fine to, to yes to, to phrase it better yes that is probably more what i meant yes <laughs> we're you know as opposed to all this squeaky voiced uh you know, voice actresses doing their own OPs and stuff, you know, it's nice. Right, and like, you know, I'm not even saying like that stuff's all entirely bad, you know what, like, Snow Halation is not a bad track, but, uh... That, that's a surprising take from you, uh, G. I'm, okay. It's fine, it's catchy, you know, but, uh... <laughs> but my point being, like, you know, I'm not saying we're like, you know, oh, fuck that idol shit, but just <laughs> oh, like... I am, but, yes, go on. Not our speed, you know, generally not our speed. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh let's move along to a story that I have I don't know why this is coming out now, but it did in the past two weeks, because uh I guess somebody must have unearthed this interview from several years ago. Sure. Uh with a uh original writer from the American Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh cartoon. And uh, in this interview, he basically reveals that uh, Ikuha- uh, Kunihiko Ikahara directed one of the pilot episodes that he wrote. <laughs> okay. I believe so, it. A lot of those old cartoons were outsourced uh, in, Japan, yeah, yeah. in one way or another. Yes. So, so you can officially add, so, you know, Ikahara's done Sailor Moon and, you know, Revolutionary Girl Utena, Penguin Drum, currently doing SARS Online, and you can add... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to his uh, long list of uh, credits, apparently. You know, I mean, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, I think this really gives this really casts a new light on on the statement from uh, 
uh, Inferno Cop and Gridman director Akira Amamiya, who stated that his desire <laughs> for uh, for Gridman was to surpass the works of Shakespeare and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, I think this gives a whole he, new context to that statement. Yeah, he, he's he's. I guess he's an Ikuhara fan, and the bar <laughs> was set that high. Yeah. I guess so. Um, it was it was interesting reading the article because I guess he he the guy couldn't like actually remember his name. But like, so it's if like you, all the context all the, clues, right? Right. Yeah, if you put all the context clues together, because they were outsourcing uh, some of their work to uh, Toei, who, which is where right. Ikuhara was working at the time during the, the kind of the pre Sailor Moon era there, and uh, you know they they're saying most of the time it w- would go to like their you know B team or whatever, but I guess for whatever reason that one episode had to got to the you know their A team, and uh, I watched I, I watched a little bit of the episode. Uh, yeah. I was kind of curious, and it does look very good for an '80s American cartoon, but nothing particularly. How how good is the sequence where Donatello walks up an endless spiraling staircase uh, to get <laughs> yeah, the... into the uh, the pe- their their like pizza shooting turtle van? I only watched like um, I only watched like two or three minutes. I didn't. There was no crazy Ikuhara trademark <laughs> there. I'm sure he was just cashing his check. Oh sure, oh sure. I yeah. mean, especially back then, like you know, a lot of the creators that we now hold sacred saint. Like, you right. look back at like the old stuff they did. You know, like for me, it's like looking at like some of like you know Imaishi's like Lupin stuff. It's like the, back when like work on Metabots. Or well, I think even by Metabots, you actually already start to see Imaishi starting to express yeah. his like, but like uh, what about very, like, like specific house style. But like, I mean, if you go far back as like the stuff he did for like Lupin and stuff, it's right, like right. it's much more like you know you wouldn't really know it unless like you know you knew you to look it up. for. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, at some point in your career, you're just getting your foot in the door and yeah, uh, totally. keeping food on the table, so you got to stay in pocket. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I said, I because I mean '80s cartoons, right? 80, American '80s cartoons look like garbage. Yep. So by comparison, it looks fantastic. Shout out to by, shout out to uh, Transformers the movie by Toei. Uh, yes. Also shout out to the like two episodes of Spider Man and his amazing friends that were done by Toei. <laughs> I mean, I think I mean, I mean, I think we all, or at least we know. I don't know if the the wider audience as a whole knows, but like. You know, basically every notable '80s cartoon, like animated intro, was, shout out to the like, Thundercats intro, right? Like, like you know, the infamous Thundercats intro, or like you know, the amazing X Men intro. Like all of those things were outsourced to Japan. Like you know, right. anytime, and you know, anytime I see some fucking grognard ass motherfucker be like, "Oh, how come cartoons these days don't look as good as they did in the '80s?" It's like, well, a they never looked that good. You only no. think they look good because you're watching like the 30 second intros, you know, that were usually outsourced to Japan. But, uh, you know, also, like, I don't know. Sorry, they, those shows never looked that good. <laughs> yeah, no, if you actually watch. Like, I was there. I remember. They do not look good. Um, no. But, yes, shout out to some of those other things, like the Transformers movie that scarred me for life as a child. Uh, when I were, you like, were you like many a kid from that time period where the Transformers movie was, like, your first introduction to the concept of mortality? I I was because I, I I like I'm old enough. I went to see it in the theater. I was oh, very okay, sure. Okay. And 
no, and at that point, you know, nobody has any expectations or anything. You just think, oh, yeah. I'm going to go watch Transformers. I love the TV show. Right. And then just watching every single beer, one of your beloved favorite characters get murdered on screen in the first, like, <laughs> 10 minutes. Man. And then, like, they start swearing later and stuff like there, that. And you're like, there's what? exactly one swear word in that movie because they had to make, yeah, they had so to make it like, TV 13 so the parents would bring right. their kids. Yeah, right. Well, when, you're like, when you're, like, four years old, that's shocking. Like, sure, that's, you know, yeah. Um, and I was like, never, I, I, I didn't want to watch it again until like, I was an adult. Like I, I was like, I was like scarred for my entire, you know, childhood. So, uh, thanks Joey, for ruining my uh, love of Transformers. But um, anyway, shout out to uh, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I guess. Yeah. I liked that. I liked that show too. Shout out to the live so, action movie. Uh, I had Jim Henson no, work on it. it. Whatever. That movie's all right. Choreography in that movie surprisingly solid for <laughs> for rubber suits fighting. I did I did love the first movie. The first one, kid. yeah. The, the 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 ones after that are all hot garbage for sure. But uh, oh, ninja, oh, ninja. anyway, let's move along before we start quoting Vanilla Ice. Um, so there were two uh, dub announcements that were very <laughs> relevant to my interests and also strange. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're just like out of nowhere. Um, they they announced they're finally doing a dub for both Golden Time, which I will note aired in 2013. Jesus Christ. And, <laughs> and Nichijo, one of my all-time favorite animes, that not only aired like back in what was like either 2010 or 2011 – but also just got a, a video release in uh, 2017. I mean, look, I think Joe has always been kind of like the weird, like, bastard child of anime, like, rights custody discussion. Yeah, like, it, it's cursed. Let's just call it what it is. It's like, cursed. Like, fucking Joe is the fucking orphan kid who has been passed between, like, 13 goddamn foster parents and, like... Yes. Some of them mean well, but then go broke, and others just straight up don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Before before we get into the Nietzsche Joe, let me just shout out the Golden Time, which I feel is a very yeah, underrated. Shout out to Golden Time, Tata Bonri. Yes, who, uh, which, I, I would which, like to be friends with, but also he makes poor, very poor very life good. choices. Yeah, but everybody is not everybody missed Golden Time, which many many people did. <laughs> it was uh, it's a it's a it's a very good. Uh, kind of romantic comedy drama from the author of Toradora. I actually think it's better than Toradora. So yeah, definitely. Um, 100% agreed. Fuck Toradora. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's very... I, I do like Toradora, I will point out personally, but I, I think Golden Time is better and it takes kind of... Well, it's, they're not even really that similar. You can kind of tell it's the same writer, but like the plot and the themes, because like the, the, the character is a little bit older and there's a little bit of a supernatural element involved in it. Um, but you know, the, having the characters kind of be very like self-reflective and stuff like that is very much similar to the, the, you can tell it's the same author, but, um, I thought it was really good. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite shows of the Glorio era and randomly got announced for a dub for some reason, six years after it aired. So go check that out. Sure. But, um, but yeah, Nietzsche Joe has been cursed. I think. Yeah. I mean, one. Because it like when it first came out, came out on Crunchyroll like everything else, and it was licensed by Bandai, who was licensing all the the Kiwani stuff. Yeah, they time. were doing anime back then. 
Yeah, and and they announced, yep, we're gonna we're gonna do uh, you know Nietzsche Joe, and like three months later, they shut their doors. <laughs> right, and then. So it got stuck in licensing hell. Eventually, they had to take it off Crunchyroll after a couple of years, and then there was just no legal way to watch it. But then it got resurrected in the ill-fated Crunchyroll Funimation partnership. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, so Funimation technically, I think, got the license, but they they put it back on Crunchyroll as part of this partnership, and all was great with the world again, except three months. It might have been less than three months after it got back on Crunchyroll. Their deal split, and they had to take it back off again. Um, and oh boy. So, so then Funimation did actually end up putting it back. I think so. You can watch it on Funimation right now. Finally, that it got back up there, and they put out a box set which I bought. They finally did do a physical release, and that was only like like barely two years ago. So it's really weird to me that now they're deciding to do a dub and a new release again. Right. I mean, I guess I wonder how much of it is like, like I wonder how much of it is like a desire to just be like, okay, fine, we've officially done it. We never have to deal with Nietzsche Joe ever again. And I wonder how much of it is like maybe there is actually just somebody at Funimation who is like really fighting, fighting tooth and nail for golden time in Nietzsche Joe. <laughs> just like well, golden time. Um, I should point out it's golden time, not Funimation. That's actually. Uh, Sentai, I think. Oh, okay. My bad. I thought they were both Funimation. Okay. No, well, so that just happened. That was pure coincidence. That two, at the same my, time. Okay. two shows that I very much like from a yes, long time are, ago are randomly your brand of bullshit. Getting dubs. But I mean, like, is there even that much of a demand for Nietzsche Joe? Like, that's what. Well, that's like, the I'm, weird thing because Nietzsche Joe, like, look, look, I'm always going to be the guy who's fucking saying that Nietzsche Joe might be Kyoani's best anime, you know, like. Yep. But also, like. Nietzsche was not that popular, at least back then. You know, it, it did not it's, sell it's a, that it's well. Cult, it was... it, it's a cult favorite for sure, but like, yeah, not many anime get two releases in two years. Like, that's right. really weird. Yeah, that, like I, I, I do. I, like you said, I do wonder if there's just somebody at Funimation with enough power that is uh, pushing for it. I don't know. Um, but hey, I mean. It's I don't a good know. Show. Hope hope that dub is good and the show is good. So uh Yeah, they just they just started showing clips of it over the past two days. Uh, that's dangerous. It. That's that's how you send somebody down a Nietzsche Joe YouTube hole. They put out the clip with the deer today with the with the president fighting the deer. Uh, uh that's a good one. Which is a good Street one. Street Fighter 4 ink splashes and everything. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean I just don't want to I'm not buying it again. Right. <laughs> the dub is cool and all. So like, I mean, look, like you know, wh- whoever does the dub for that, I'm you know, look, I wish you the best. I-, I I hope you do a great job, but also like, you know, I feel like the Japanese voice cast for Nietzsche Joe is like god tier. Like, yes. it is some of the best screeching in anime. <laughs> I have... Right? Yes, it is some of the best screeching and squealing I have heard in an anime. Uh, a voiceover so <laughs> all right well shout out to nietzsche joe because we do that enough yeah um, <laughs> but, uh, let's move along yeah so go back to fucking dirty guy Jin having basic bitch tastes in anime <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, I, figured, I figured we would uh i figured we'd follow up on this because we talked about uh you know the legendary gundam creator uh you know T- tomino's uh take on sp- into the spider verse 
uh, last episode. So this week, there was uh, some interviews going around with the directors of Into the Spider-Verse and their anime influences. And uh, What are their anime influences, Joel? Hey guys, have you ever heard of Sailor Moon and Akira? And, uh, oh, yeah, the, boy. The works of, uh, you know, Hayao Miyazaki. Um, it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> you're lowballing so hard, right? Like... This is so fuck. These guys are so fucking basic. Like, I, I don't even want to like be. I'm not even trying to be mean because I love Spider Verse. I wasn't here for that podcast, but Spider Verse was maybe the actual best anime of 2018. Like, such a fantastic movie. Like, in terms of both the storytelling and the artistry, some of the best art direction I've ever seen. Like, no lie. Like when I, I like look, we'll get to Promare later in this podcast. But like, when I was looking at Spider Verse, I was like, this is some of the best. Like. Some, some of the best directed CG I've ever seen. Yeah. That said, I think the story is interesting and I think weirdly relevant because I think arguably one of the weakest parts of Spider-Verse is uh, the character Penny Parker, who, uh, for those of you who haven't watched the movie or need a reminder, is one of the alternate universe uh, spider people. She's the actual anime comes from a Right. She comes from an anime universe, you know? And... Her her character is very, like, kind of bog-standard anime tropes. Like, you know, she's a schoolgirl who does the peace sign. And I'm not gonna, I'm not saying she's real a, Japanese schoolgirls don't do the peace sign. But right, she's got a robot. You know, she, she pilots a mech. Like, she dresses as a schoolgirl. Like, you know, she's, she, her, when she does stuff, like, the, like, very stereotypical, like, anime effects show up, you know? And... Again, it's not like a, it's not like bad, you know. It's not like oh, this is like offensive it's, it's or anything. A minor, but it's like a relatively minor character, right? Right. Like, but yeah, she's a minor character and arguably kind of the least interesting of the three, like of the the, the, the three weird spider people that are in that movie, you know. And you know what? Reading this article, I'm like, oh, okay. You know what? That tracks now. Like, if all you fucking know of anime is Miyazaki, Sailor Moon, and Akira, like, congratulations. Like you are, you are like you are doing like fucking Simpsons tier anime parodies. <laughs> like you are so fucking far beyond behind the curve. Like the fact that you cannot list like a single relevant anime made in the last like you know what? I'll be I'll be twenty I'll, years. I'll be like... I'll be generous twenty years. I was gonna say ten. I'll be generous twenty. Like hell. Hell, if you at least said Cowboy Bebop, even that would be like slightly more tolerable. I would at least tolerate that more than fucking Sailor Moon and Akira. And and that's not to denigrate Sailor Moon and Akira. Those are both great and important works of anime. But also, they were important, like, fucking 30 years ago. Like, they're your old man's anime. Like, well, that's not even just the age. Like, those are, like, super, like... I'm not, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't call, like, Akira mainstream, per se. But that's, like, a very popular, like... But... Here's the thing. I wouldn't say Akira itself. Akira the anime itself is not mainstream. Akira the the movie is fucking weird as hell. Right. But like Akira's reputation, I would argue that's actually very mainstream. Right. It's very influential. Like that's yeah, like, like it's, it's like saying, oh yeah, I, my influences for my science fiction story were Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. Right. right. Like it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's in that. That's actually a good comparison. It's in that yeah. right. That it's in that neighborhood. Sure. Right, like it's an entirely valid and establishing work for its time period. No one's going to deny that. It's just like, you know, again, I'm not saying, oh, I needed the Spider-Verse directors to be anime experts. Right. But like, <laughs> I think it's kind of telling, like how, again, 
I'm not even joking when I say how fucking basic it is. I would know? like to see more. And yeah, yeah. I mean, just before I move on to that, what I was just going to say, I do want to point out, you know, this is all, you know, it was still a very positive conversation. Like they're saying, you know, we felt like we were playing catch up to Japan or whatever with this movie and everything, which I thought was interesting because in, in Tomino's comments last episode that we talked about, he was saying how, you know, Spider-Verse kind of set a new bar where now anime. Is kind of oh, totally. Up, so. Totally. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm mostly fucking I'm mostly fucking just you know shit talking here. I'm talking about like their fucking garbage taste in anime. In actuality, I, I did like the interview because yes, like it is kind of interesting that like, I mean you know it's very cliche, right? But like I think what both creators are saying is oh we can learn a lot from the other, you know, like from our our, our counterparts. Yeah. Like I think when the directors of the spider of into the, into the Spider Verse are talking about catching up to Japan, you know, I think they are in a lot of ways talking about like. I mean, look, we've been worn down by, like, our cynicism about anime as a medium. Uh, but, like, you know, in many ways, anime is a far more, like, narrative and artistically sophisticated medium than Western cartoons. Yeah. In a lot of ways. You know, I'm not just talking about, like, Akira or Miyazaki, you know, I'm talking about, like... Look, man, fucking nobody is going to make a fucking Western cartoon in 2019 that holds a candle to, like, you know, you know, Gridman or, you know, uh, to the ends of the universe or fuck whatever the Shirobako. fuck that South Pole one is called or Shirabako, right. right? Like, or whatever, whatever's our fucking best anime of any given year, you know, on the blog. Like, right. you know, it, they just don't. It's not. It's, I don't think it's like ever a case that the creators don't have that scope. You know, I know a lot of Western artists artists who are very creative. You know, but like they have to deal with the perception of animation in the West being a kid's thing. Right, right. And the market pressures being what they are. Yeah. You know, and then I think the other way around, what Tomino is saying is like we can learn a lot from Into the Spider Verse in a sense of like you know a lot of the technical artistry, like like Into the Spider Verse is one of the first like movies I've seen that legitimately like makes the argument for like what cg can be as a medium like yeah. like you compare like into the spider versus cg versus like the average cg you find in most anime like <laughs> like again we will get into this with the promari conversation later but like i think i think japan is only just barely beginning to understand like what cg can do beyond just emulating hand-drawn right. anime right okay yeah, I was just gonna point out because because I get you, G. Like, watch watch some other anime. Like, if you're if you're really into animation, I feel like you should be expanding your pool into like what people have been doing beyond past the. Nah, dude, like, you'd be fucking a surprised. It's called Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I was trying, I was, I was uh, trying to know. think of like you know Western references to like things outside the normal pool. And the best thing I could think of was like Steven universe pulling the classroom scenes from Gunbuster. Like that's right. like the deepest cut I could think of in a Western cartoon, uh, which is a pretty, that's a pretty yeah, decent they, they usually, cut. No, that, that is a good deep cut, but I would say in general, like I think most Western cartoons, like I, I think these days, especially like, you know, with the rise of the millennial, like led, you know, the, the, the millennial cartoon showrunners, you are definitely starting to see more anime yeah. influence. I hear a lot but, of like, stuff about OKKO. OK right, right. I mean, well, OKKO's OK like intro was storyboarded by Amaishi. Oh, so well then, okay. Like, you know, so if nothing right. else, and, uh, like, 
but but also like you know trigger are a bunch of like i mean you know <laughs> yeah they are westaboos you know to use that term right they love western shit so they are kind of the exception to the rule but like uh, I, I forget the like like steven universe again had uh what's his name work on one of their episodes too. yes uh um uh I can't think of his name right um, now. Hori Horikoshi something. No, no, no. Horikoshi, Horikoshi. No, 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 that's Horofumi. Yes, yes, thank yes. you. Yes. Oh, yeah, they, they've been in, yeah. So, so they're all up in there. But Trigger's kind of a, their own, exist in their own universe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. Yeah, so anyway, inter- I, it's just kind of an interesting conversation, I think. Totally, sort of the back, totally. The back and forth of what each side can learn from um you know we and we yeah we'll save the rest of the cg talk for primare so let's uh <laughs> let's move on um so uh one of these stories i picked up with i thought was interesting uh there was a survey in which 80 percent of japanese high school girls identified themselves as otaku of something uh which you know we we usually refer to otaku in the terms of like anime and anime adjacent like games and stuff right. but really it just means you're like really into something right right and i just thought this was interesting because in in the survey results the vast majority when they said otaku they were mostly referring to like you know music or idols or something like that yeah but, i uh, i found that weirdly surprising i mean look i i mean maybe again it's because of like our perception of like idol culture but I guess I'd always made the rather like backhanded assumption that idol otaku were, you know, fucking your standard, like, you know, fat, smelly, horrible, like nerds. Well, I mean, just based on what you hear about idol fans, but like, I guess I forgot that. Oh, right. These things were originally like intended to be aimed towards, you know, young female audiences. They they could also be referring to male idol groups too, but. Oh, you know, you're right. You're right. I also, which is probably the majority of it. Uh, But still, still a good thirteen percent were, uh, or what was the actual percent? I forget. It was still a pretty good proportion that actually did say they were into anime, which I was much higher than expected because everything else was like one percent mixed all over the place. I mostly that's that's kind of interesting. I mostly just, I mostly just found it interesting uh, how the meaning of otaku has changed over the years. Or, yeah, or at least, I mean, I guess the meaning has always technically been the same, but like the perspective- didn't like in J- in Japan didn't have like a major negative. Connotation. Yeah, it was, it was it was a very negative right. originally. You know, it was basically like the infamous. Uh, there was an infamous incident, you know, right back in was it the early two thousands or the nineties? The like uh, the Akihabara like stabbing incident. I think what, what it was like. Yeah, I'm not making this up. Yeah, I, I definitely I, I remember kinda, hearing about what this. You're talking like, about, yeah. And like hearing about how that like lent a very like negative like uh, for a while anyways a negative public perception of of right. otaku. Yeah, so I I mean but, for uh, for a long time it's always been a, a negative term, kind of like an an insult. Um, but it's but kind of, I mean at the same time, right? It's like it's like nerd or geek, right? Yes, like mm-hmm. how that's changed, like that the the connotations of that have changed for us over the years, like you know quote unquote. I hate this word, but geek culture uh, is, you know, yeah. you know, with <laughs> mainstream, mainstream now. now, like, you know, the Marvel movies and all that. Like, yeah. so it's, it's totally, much totally. more okay now to like, you know, comic books and cartoons and stuff like that than it was even like yeah. 10 years ago. But I mean, 
I think I think the hope with this kind of development then is like. I mean, you know, I fuck it. I think we're already we've already been seeing this for years, right? Is like a lot of the shift and changes in like how anime is presented and 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 what is framed in in anime narratives, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, we're still getting your fucking you know shield heroes and shit, but like you know, we were also getting you know, I don't know, Yuri on Ice. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, your Yuri on Ices and such. You know, again, apologies, it's just like, you know, look, the anime that, like, female otaku are into are probably don't fall in line with my tastes, so I struggle to come up with, like, I mean, even, valid examples, but they definitely exist. They are out there, you know, and, like... Yeah, even, like... Or something like what Kiwani does, right? Like, free and shit, you know? It, it, we, we have seen this shift in, in, in the demographics yeah. for a while now. I wrote that article years ago about how... <laughs> the, and that was with, with when Osamatsu came out. I felt like that was like the real. That felt like the turning point to me. And that's when I wrote that article because right. I yeah, I remember looked, that. When I actually looked at the top ten that year, that I think it was like 2015. Like half of the shows were either like for both men and women or for women in the top ten anime for that year. That right for sales. So like we've definitely seen that shift, and I think it's I think it's been for the better. I mean, we I think we've had. Because not only have we had more shows aimed toward women, but I feel like we've had more shows that aren't leaning so hard in either demographic that you know, like everybody can. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think I think it's it's been a pretty positive impact, and I, I guess I guess you know, changing the perception of the term otaku is kind of a maybe a, a distant byproduct of all that. But yeah. It's just I I find those kinds of things interesting, but uh. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move on to. I wanted to mention this story. Uh, Nippon Ichi Software, or NIS, is oh Nippon Ichi, uh, interesting game company. Most most uh, most known for the Disgaea series, which I actually enjoy. Or oh yeah, no, I um, I, I too I too stand for the Disgaea games, or at least some of them. Yeah, I I, I can't play every one because they're all identical. But it's it's kind of like um, <laughs> I feel the same way as I feel like Dynasty Warriors, where it's just like every now and then I get in the mood for it. Yeah, um, you get in the mood for an extremely granular, highly breakable, yes. like you know sprite based t- you know turn based role playing game with an irreverent storyline. So I'll pick. Uh, uh, so I'll pick one. I'll pick whatever the latest one is. Uh, is you know, pick that up uh, when I get in the mood every couple of years or whatever. Um, right. I mean, I I love it. I, you know, frankly, like I mean, I haven't played any many of their games in a while because, frankly, related to the story, like Nifunichi doesn't really make that good games these days. But yes. like, I've always loved their house art style. You yeah. know, I I have always loved their very like charming like no outline kind of chibi look i think it's uh yeah i think i think i think it's always worked well like hey, weird weird tangent here but like the disgaea one and two art books are like some of the first art books that i ever like physically purchased and owned like yeah i don't know how the fuck that happened but it happened that way so yeah it's, it's a very it's a very charming art style like and it holds up really well like you could play disgaea one right now and it doesn't really look old like oh yeah totally it still you know looks pretty good 
But um, I mean, the other reason for that is also because fucking Disgaea Four basically looks exactly the same. So and all of the Disgaea's look exactly the same. They did, <laughs> at least they, at least in Four they did update to the HD sprites. If anybody remembers, that's true. That's if anybody remembers the, remember. uh, the Disgaea Three debacle when that first came out. Oh my god! And, uh, when Three came out, still using the fucking PS Two sprites. Yeah, I, I, they they had the they had the low res sprites on uh, PS Three when that came out because they didn't have time to like upscale them, I guess, or whatever. And it was, uh, they did fix it eventually. I think for the Vita version, but that was hilarious. Sure. Uh, Anyways, what's going on with Nippon Ichi? They're, uh, they're not doing so well. Um, really? I, know, I, do... heard, I heard their Lapis Labyrinth or whatever was just like not bad, but... Yeah, that comes out next week. It actually looks pretty good. I might pick that up. That looks pretty fun, uh, Lapis Labyrinth. But uh, at the moment, they're kind of in bad shape. Uh, yeah. they, they had to do a, a... They had to lower... They basically lower, lowered... They did a stock sale where they lowered their stock price intentionally to just get as many sell as many shares as possible. Wow, which is a, is a super desperation move because that you just destroy your stock. You get quick cash, but you basically destroy your stock price. So you only do that like if right. you're like about to shut your doors, basically. Which they have basically Man. said we have to pay our employees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, my understanding is like on Telltale Games. Yes, yes. I mean, I suppose. I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't mean to ascribe like traits to Japanese, you know, game dev culture that it perhaps doesn't deserve. Because obviously, my understanding is that Japanese game development is just as heinous as Western right. game development. But at least you hear the stories about like you know Iwata taking a pay cut and stuff like that. You know, like right. People are held accountable. So right? like, if people <laughs> is making this desperate move specifically to at least pay their employees on time, like I can. That is. That is what they are saying. I mean, well, a cynical right. person, a cynical person might say, "Well, they also have to make it sound as good as they possibly can." That is a good point. Sense. That is a good way. That is why, as like I said, I don't want to necessarily ascribe traits to them yeah. they don't deserve. But, but at least if we're going to take them at their word, yeah. then yes, but, that's uh, that at least they have the priorities correct. My but, um, my understanding is that Nippon Ichi basically like. I mean, my understanding is Nippon Ichi hasn't been doing great for a while, and that like their last big like swing for the fences was uh. I guess they released a gotcha game. Like, oh, yes. right. didn't the guy I mean, gotcha game become a right. huge mess? It was yeah. a disaster yeah. on every level. They had to. The game was so that yes, they tried to make a guy gotcha game, which probably would have done very well. Yeah, I, but at least the, give it a whirl. I, yeah, I'd give that a whirl, sure. But uh, it never never made it to us because they had it was so buggy and so uh, just non functional. That they had to indefinitely shut oh. it down, uh, which for a gotcha game that is that's a that's going to be suicide sentence. Yeah, that's a um, really bad look. <laughs> so, so they have shut it down indefinitely. They they estimated I think for at least three months uh, to to fix it, and I'm assuming that is how they got themselves in this situation because right. they're going to have to pay their employees to continue fixing it, and that might be their last kind of hail mary. Um, I mean, I hope they get it. I hope they get it together because I feel like that actually would be a successful project if yeah. they can. I mean, get their, I think get it working. I think at their core, like people have always like, you know, I don't know many people who are like fucking, you know, you know, standing for Nippon Ichi, but like I think people have always kind of broadly like, you know, enjoyed their their specific lane of like kind of like low budget anime game. You know, I've always seen Nippon Ichi as kind of the like less successful more horny brother of atlas you know like yes right the the, the little 
brother of uh, Atlas. You know, like the, a little more niche. Yeah. A little I mean, it's just like you know, Atlas happened to fucking like get lucky and hit it big with Persona Three, but like you know, yes. before that, like Atlas was basically at the same tier as Nipponichi. You know, like you know, putting right. out like very niche games with very low budgets and tended to reuse a lot of assets. I mean. Shin Megami Tensei yes. series to this day is still using the same artwork since like 1999. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, hopefully they pull it together. Yeah. I'd play, I'd play this guy. I gotcha game, but you know, Probably also money on it. That's not going to help them, but <laughs> <laughs> look, but, man, uh, I fucking roll for my fucking five, five star printy or whatever, you know, yes. like, Sure. And, you know, I feel like you'd also throw in, like, you know, the larger, like, what, Nippon Ichi cinematic universe into that game, right? Like, yes. roll so for, other. like, you know, fucking uh, uh, other Nippon Ichi games. Yeah, yeah, the, like, the, what's that Grimoire game or something? I don't know, but there's enough characters. Grimoire? <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> okay, yes. There's the another Nowhere one. I was gonna say, Grim Grimoire is the oh, Nowhere no, game. Delaware. Yeah, my bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I think there is a there is a Nippon Ichi game with the word Grimoire in it. I just yeah, yeah. I don't think it's Grim Grimoire. Uh, they made a, um, there's a game with Joan of Arc in it. I think their version of Joan of Arc. I think like. Are you, no, you're thinking of um, that's that's by level five. No, no, no. I, I'm pretty sure there's a Nippon Ichi. There's also a Joan of Arc themed Nippon Ichi game. Maybe the fact that we can't name another game besides this guy is part of the problem. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, 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 some of, they had some of the old ones, like um, uh, Phantom Brave was one. That was, yeah, yeah, Phantom Brave. Sure. That'll, that'll bring Let's in the see kids. Here, <laughs> La Pucelle Tactics. Which there we go. That's the one. Yes. La Tactics. So that's the one. That's the one. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I remember that one. Yes. But, uh, not, not relevant since 2005, but... No. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, we wish you the best of luck, Nipponichi. Yes, good luck, good luck uh, to NIS. All right, final news topic: we have to shout out uh, uh, Promare, which just came out in theaters in Japan a couple days ago. Yeah, um, they also streamed the what they said was the opening action sequence. I don't know if you guys got the chance to watch. Yeah, that. I saw that. They also showed the first five minutes of the movie itself. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, initial thoughts, G. You're the uh, you're you're our number one trigger fan here. So, uh, <laughs> I'm. I really actually love the way it looks. Like, you know, to go back to that Spider Verse conversation, I feel like Promare is maybe one of the first like, because because the, the thing with Promare, if you're not familiar with it, is you know it's uh, you know it is a, it is the the next big production from Twitter featuring, you know, I mean, not Twitter from trigger uh, <laughs> featuring, you know, the, uh, the dynamic duo of uh, Emaishi and Nakashima also known for kill a kill and Gurren Lagann. And uh, the notable thing I would say about Promare though, is that it is primarily CG. The characters are 2d, but like the mechs and the environments are CG. But I think, I think Promare is making it work because like, they're kind of doing the Spider Verse thing of like really leaning into like the very into a very like particle effects heavy like CG style that's like very flashy, very like colorful. Like like they're making it a point that like look, we're not going to try and emulate hand drawn, nor are we going to try and make it look like a PS2 cutscene. Like we're going to lean into the strengths of CG. So these very big, blocky like polygonal shapes that 
like, like flat colors. And, yeah, and it's it's super stylish. Uh, Gel, you should. I'll I'll link the first five minutes of the of the movie in the in the Discord later because Gel, I you know as as the resident like kind of graphic design guy, I think you should at least check out like the opening like the title yeah, the, the title sequence of Promare is one of the slickest like pieces of graphic animation I have seen in a while. It's yeah, because the the clip I saw was like the action bit, which right. was only like three minutes or something yeah. of it. Um, but like the first five and, minutes, I, th- I actually I kind of like the first five minutes more as a first taste of Promare. There's no action, but it really sets up like kind of triggers very like distinctive like style and flair. But uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, sorry, go uh, sorry, go ahead. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll continue with I'll my thoughts afterward. I'll have to check it out because I do feel like watching the action sequence. I don't know if I was just tired at the time or whatever. I was watching it late last night. It, it kind of hurt my eyes a little. <laughs> <laughs> it's very extra. Like it, there's a lot going on, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot to process. And I do, I do agree. They do a good job of finding a unique art style that works well with CG. You can still, I mean, obviously you can still tell it's CG in yeah. some spots. Whatever, oh, totally, but, totally. Um, it, it's it's a it's doesn't quite look like anything else yeah uh, I, I think that's seen. why i really like it or why i've been really digging its look so far like i have never like i'm not gonna say never like there are definitely artists that that uh promari is clearly drawing inspiration from but like i've never really seen like a mainstream anime production like with backgrounds like this with cg effects like this you know it's like there's a very clear like intentional art direction in it like you know, I'm going to mention this now, which, you know, I'd ra- I-, I wish everybody would just notice this organically, but I fucking, I cannot get enough of it, is, like, when you watch these clips of Promare, like, they use, like, really smart, amazing, like, shape language to, like, define, like, their characters and their scenes. Like, anytime fire is invoked, anytime the theme of fire is invoked, they use triangular shapes. Okay. And then, like, like, like the way their fire looks is like this fucking wild, like, like the particles that are coming off the flames are just little triangles. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, it's a really slick design choice. And then anytime right. water or like extinguishing is invoked, they use square shapes. Like the extinguisher fluid they shoot to like stop the fires is actually a bunch of like, kind of like almost, um, ah, oh shit. How, how could I forget his name? Um, you know, the bones animator. Uh, you, you yes, like the when they shoot like their extinguisher fluid, it looks like a bunch of like tiny Udipon cubes. Sure, like so you see like these square shaped Udipon cubes clashing with these triangle like Dorito shaped <laughs> flames. It's actually like a really slick design choice to the point where like during like the daytime scenes that are meant to be heroic, and I've only watched a few minutes and I've already noticed this. Even the lens flare is square shaped. That's pretty good. Like. It's really slick. It's a really slick design choice. They have, like, we always know Trigger as, like, oh, these wacky, irreverent guys who do crazy shit. But, like, like again, this way, I, I would almost say I prefer the first five minutes of this movie that don't have any action, but just kind of set up the, the, se- the setting and the scene. Because, like, you immediately see, like, the, like, fucking high-tier, like, art direction that a guy like Amaishi can achieve, like when he is focused on something it's 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 really cool and 
I think I will totally grant though that like those action scenes, like I think Iro mentioned this. I think this movie will be exhausting to watch. And yeah. I don't think I necessarily mean that like I don't think that's in a, in a bad way. I think it's going to be like but it's going to be like visual eye candy nonstop. Like it's going to assail your senses and it you know being those guys the way they pace their stories, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of break moments, so like you know. Yeah. I think it's going to be very like visually interesting but like also you know, definitely the kind of thing that you're probably going to have to like brace yourself for, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so I'm really looking forward to come on and announce some American showings already. Jesus Christ! Really? No, I'm saying saying come on and do that already, please. Oh, 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 come on! Okay, okay. I thought you said they did. I I wish because that's that's, we're getting fucking Tanya the Evil or whatever. But no Pramari, like right. So that's that's a big complaint, right? Is that no Western showing has been announced yet for Pramari, right? Which I think we've gotten into this a bit. I think it's. Go ahead. I, I think it's a weird choice because, like, I think Trigger, you know, Trigger have always been known as the Western-friendly anime studio, right? They appeal to Western sensibilities, and, like, Trigger themselves have said in panels that, like, man, you guys are way better than our Japanese fans. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I think it's very kind of, it's kind of striking, actually, the absence of a Western, like, release date. And... I wonder how much of that is like a rights holding thing. I wonder how much of that is like a, a, a publication thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, a, I don't know. Because yeah. like, like I mentioned, because uh, I, I just saw a bunch of people going to see that horrible Tanya, the evil or whatever movie. Like, like in 2019, it's actually pretty common for anime movies to get screenings over here. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't even, need to be, you, don't, you don't even need to be fucking Dragon Ball Z anymore to get, like, yeah. you know, a show in theaters. So like, I'm wondering the one thing I've ne- I haven't been paying attention to though is how soon after it gets released in Japan it gets screened over here. So maybe it's just a matter of that's time, fair. right? That's a good point. On the flip side, I feel like if they were going to do screenings, you have to announce it first and give people time to buy tickets and everything. Right. So then it, that would be even if they announced it today, that'd be putting it you know like two months out or something right, right. like that. Well, so like, things I, I, that are happening in uh, two months. So- I, this is a very unfortunate, this is going to be very unfortunate if this turns out to be true, because me and Iro, well, especially me, being the fucking fool I am, will drag Iro to this. My sneaking suspicion is Trigger might be saving the Western debut of Promare for Anime Expo. So here's the thing, though. They've not yet, Trigger people have not yet been confirmed for Anime Expo, but they've been confirmed for Otakon, which is like two weeks after Anime Expo. Really, yeah. that's interesting. I feel I think they I think they have to do Anime Expo, right? Like Trigger is like one of the biggest draws at Anime Expo but for you. Like, <laughs> oh, not just for me. Have you seen the fucking lines I for the know, Trigger, Trigger know, panel know, every goddamn year? Like, I swear to God, I feel like we fucking line up earlier and earlier for that fucking panel every goddamn time. And look, I love yeah, Trigger. Like- it is even pushing my. It is pushing my love for them to a boundary that I'm not sure I can tolerate any further, and it's not even Trigger's fault. It's mm-hmm. Anime Expo's fault, honestly. But right. but I mean, yeah, Otakon has confirmed that they have uh, Wakabayashi, Shikata Koyama, and uh, Animaishi as guests. So, hmm. I well, maybe they're maybe they're going to do the tour, stop at Anime Expo, and maybe I mean. To, uh... Maybe they're just going to take like a three-week vacation. I ain't flying so. to Washington, D.C. For, for no, no. And I, look, oh, man, they also are getting I radio really... there. Jesus Christ. Wait, really? I don't know. Are you going to fly no. there now? 
I'm so mad I got fucking screwed that year. Uh, I mean, maybe I should go. I mean, I could try. That's not too far, honestly. I mean, look, I got to be honest. If Jam Project ever announced that they were coming back to play in the in the states, Mm -hmm. like I don't care what convention it is. Like, if I had the money, I would at least consider making a trip. So, I'm just. But uh, yeah, that's I. You know, I don't know what else we can really say about it. I think. Stay it tuned. Look, yeah, it looks cool, but of course we're gonna have to wait till the whole movie comes out. And fucking, who can say when that's happening? Yeah, I um, I, I wouldn't give up hope. Yeah, on it getting a screening, but it's right. just weird that if they were gonna do it, I think I think cool. it, I think it will eventually. I think it has to, right? Like I think this is because I mean. So the other okay, the one last tangent I want to go on here <laughs> is. Promara is Trigger's last big announced work. Right. I don't know. We don't know what they're like, doing next. Like we don't know what's right. next. Like, like a few years yeah. back, it was Promare, Gridman, and Darling in the Franks. Yep. Right. All three of those have aired and are finished. Trigger is a blank slate now. And like that is I mean, look, if you ask me, that is very exciting. Because like I mean, a lot of that is thanks to Gridman. I think that, you know, I mean, look, if Darling the Franks was the only thing Trigger put out in the last four years, like I would be deeply worried. <laughs> But but Gridman gives me hope again that oh like there's a fire in Trigger again and I I want to see where it goes you know I want to see where Amamiya goes from here you know like yeah he he really put himself on the map with that uh, like it's nice to be excited about Trigger outside of just Amaishi right or, and, or, or, or even like Yoshinari, or even Yoshinari. We, we don't yeah. know what Yoshinari's doing right now like yeah like we don't know if it's another Little Witch Academia or if he's doing something new like. I keep hoping one day Sushio will direct his own anime. Like, you know, like there are talented people at Trigger beyond just Amaishi, and they haven't announced what they're doing yet. And, you know, it's kind of like when, you know, it's kind of like when a game studio you really like, you know, hasn't said anything in a while. You're kind of excited because, you know, who yeah. knows what's on the horizon. Maybe they'll save that announcement for Anime Expo. With that, I definitely suspect, at, at, at bare minimum. Hopefully. Like, I've, I've been keeping an eye on the Anime Expo announcements, and they've not yet announced anything related to Trigger. So I'll, I'll keep yeah. an eye out. As much as I hate right. going into the city. Uh... As much as, <laughs> yes, as much as we fucking actually hate Anime Expo, like... Yeah, we'll fucking do it anyways because we're fucking fools. So yes, see if it's not fucking 120 uh, I, degrees there again. I, I think you would. I think you would regret it if you didn't. Right. Uh, but uh, anyway, one year I didn't go to Anime Expo. I did regret it. So <laughs> yeah. So that that wraps up the news. We'll uh, keep our eyes out for Promare and or Anime Expo announcements from Trigger. Let's uh, wrap things up here by actually talking about a little, a little bit of anime. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that now. An hour and fifteen into this podcast, I still don't have this timing down yet. Because no, I, I figured think... this time we're not going to have. Uh, you know, we had Chris and Collins on last time. They had their little backstory to give and everything. I figured well, we, we, we talked about we Kitsu Zubad. That was great. I feel like I feel like yeah. I feel like the Mecha Samurai Empire discussion maybe like you know weighed things made on up, that made up for that. Yeah, and then. But, <laughs> well, I'll get it one of these days, and then the season will be over. Yes. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Carol and Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, why the show is pissing me off. All right. Um, uh, so just get right. into it, Jill. I, I want to hear yeah, your I'm, takes I'm, first. Yeah. So let, let me let me get my takes off here. So we we ended last time episode five. They, they've been trying all these crazy 
get famous quick schemes. And the, the end result ended up being, you know what, we're going to have to go to this little club, play in front of 10 people and work our way from the, the, the bottom. And I'm like, you know what? Great. That sounds like a appropriate thematic place to go because all their schemes have not been working. I, I can't watch their manager anymore. I don't know why he's <laughs> Gus here anymore. Like I, I know, I understand the type of character they're going for, but I don't think it's working because he's, he's just making me angry every time he's on screen now because he's completely useless. I, I am not as uh, like incited towards Gus, but I definitely understand where you're coming yeah. from as like, he is like, you know, he is like, you know, he is the fat bumbling, like comic relief character, but also like, I feel like those characters should still occasionally like, you know, Prove like their worth. what the, what is more satisfying in a story than when the comic relief fucking swings in and saves the day, right? Like that is always like right. everybody's favorite episode, right? Is like when and, uh, right, and that's not happening. And right. not even more close. It's, a, no, it's actually not even remotely. It's actually a money, detriment to like, the career. Right. I was like, that's a crime. Um, so, so like I was saying, at the end of five, we were yeah. at, we're at a spot. Where I'm like, okay, now we can move forward because now they realize, okay, we're gonna have to put in the work. Yeah. And really, you know, build up a musicianship and, you know, build up a following the, the way you're supposed to do it. I'm like, that makes sense to me. And that seemed to be the message of the show. But then episode six and seven, we're diving right back into the the get famous quick schemes that aren't working. Right. Well, I, guess, I guess it remains to be seen what because because episode six, they they go in this huge, they get booked into this huge festival. Right. They go to Mars it's, Burning Man. Right. They're booked yeah, they like very, for uh, another. Right. And it goes very, very badly. They yeah. they had no business being there. They get um, hugged by and, Space Beyonce. And then, yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. They get, <laughs> they, they get hugged by Space Beyonce, sure. But like still, they had no business being there. And it yeah. was another like like Carol and Tuesday know that these schemes are not working. Like we've established right. that they and, understand, and yet they're still playing along with them. Right, they're still getting dragged into these schemes. It feels like they've kind of lost a sense of agency, like it, it, like, I think the thing we were all hoping with Carol on Tuesday is we would be watching these two young women kind of strike forward, you know, in a very, like, unsteady, uncertain future career and kind of, like, watch, you know, watch, see, you know, kind of experience their victories and their defeats with them, you know, like the mistakes they make, but also, like, the strides they make. But right. every plot development has basically been, like, what crazy, like, scheme does Gus or Roddy come up with this week to, like, drag them into stardom. and Which is, which is doomed to fail. Yeah, like, and, like, I don't know, like, <clears throat> here's the thing. I think there's still episodes and moments of the show that I, I, I am genuinely enjoying. I still like the show, but, like, I definitely see where you're coming from, Jell, with, like, yeah, like, Carol Tuesday don't really have any agency. Like, like I feel like a character like Gus, like, it's fine to have, like, a goofy, bumbling, scoundrel character, but, like, they need to justify their presence at least just often enough to be like, right. oh, that's why we keep him around, you know? Like, because here's the thing, like, I think Watanabe has actually always done pretty good with, like, casts of Misfits. Like, you look at Cowboy Bebop, you look at Samurai Champloo, you look at Space Dandy, those are all shows that are about Misfits, and they're all shows about, like, how, like, everybody, like has their strengths and weaknesses. You know, even something like, you know, Cowboy Bebop, you know, which is ostensibly about, you know, Spike Spiegel, like, that dude fucks up all the time. Like, he has to get bailed out by the rest of the crew. Like, he is not, like, you know, he, he's not perfect, you know? Same thing with, like, Samurai Champloo. It's about a couple of misfits. Like, one's a serious guy and one's, like, a goofy guy, but, like, they still have to save each other from time to time, you know? Even Space but they all, But they all, like... 
prove their worth at some point. Like, right, exactly. Like they all get their turn. Like fucking even Meow gets an like, even Meow gets a good episode in Space Dandy, right? But, like <laughs> that dude doesn't fucking do shit. Like I think uh, the thing like and I don't know when the Meow episode was. Was that like in the first it season? In the first was season. that like near the end? Like I don't that remember was, what episode. So was, it was uh, written by the uh, by uh, Kimiko yeah. Uno. Right, by the good Space <laughs> Dandy writer. But but uh I guess I don't know. It's like I think I think like to justify Gus's presence, he needs that episode. Like I feel like what we need is an episode from his perspective of like to to show that like maybe he truly does mean well. Like maybe he truly does because we get like little oh, I, snippets I of it. We get tiny snippets of him saying that he truly believes in these girls. I, no, I don't like, even question. I don't even question that he he means well. I don't think he's entirely trying to scam them. I think he's right. just not good at his job because the, the industry has passed him by. That's right. Like and I think point. I feel like I think I, I get that. And I think that's why I say we need an episode where he gets a win to justify his presence. Right. Like he needs an episode right. where like he bubbles his way through things because he doesn't get how the music industry works anymore but like maybe something about his old timey charm manages to work and like right. you know get the girls a small gig right like right. and like maybe that whole episode could be centered on him busting his ass like fucking going through all these trials and tribulations you know just like that episode of Cowboy Bebop where they get the Betamax player <laughs> like like have Gus go through hell and you know hell on earth just to achieve like one tiny victory. And from the girl's perspective, they're like, that's all you got us. But like, that's the kind of episode that could help us empathize with the character. See, but that's, that that's what I thought have right now. That's what I thought we did in episode five, because he got them the gig in the, in the little club. That was only like 10 people, which was not much, right. but that was like their most successful. But also wasn't that more gig. rotting than Gus? It was like, rotting. Was that- yeah. Okay, like, fine. Roddy, yes, I, I take it back. He actually is. Yeah, like Roddy's the one who begs for the gig and says, "I believe in these girls." I like Roddy is the one who's actually like, "I will take risks to vouch for these yeah, girls." Like, I'll take risks to my personal yeah, yeah. like <laughs> the, uh, and like you know physical possessions. Just, like, get some uh, some stuff in the music video episode. Just the music video doesn't work out at all. Right. Right. Like, like that's the thing I kind of liked about the music video episode is like he cashes in like his favors. Right. He goes talks to that, to his that he talks to his ex-wife and it's, it's clear that like while they're cordial they don't have the best relationship anymore but he is still willing to like suck it right. up and like beg her for help because like he believes in these girls and it's like the problem though is like i love that episode but like that whole episode that whole episode's efforts is play for comedy right so, and like, you don't it, really nothing comes of it at like, the end <laughs> right and right. i guess yeah. i don't know it's like i think i think at this point with Carol on Tuesday, like, I think I'm still enjoying it a lot. I think it's just that I've also now have to come to accept that I'm mostly here for, like, the music. Right. So that was, and, my, like, question. That was my question directing. for you, G, is in the past you've been, uh, you have mentioned that you have not cared much for the music in this show. And I'd like to ask you over the past couple episodes, has your opinion changed at all? I would say... I think episode six has had some of the best music we have heard in this show so that far. That is the episode so, with uh, Space Beyonce, right? And, yes, uh, and Space Beyonce and Space, um, like... Yeah, Thunder, Thundercat? Space, Space Thundercat, yes. Oh, Thundercat is the name of the right, city, right. yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I forget the, the, the... Skip. Skip is his, Skip is his name, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, to give some context, so that's, that is the episode where, like, we kind of get Watanabe, like, being a 
big fucking boomer again because like he introduces like the two characters that are like oh these are the real musicians right, right. like you introduce skip who is like this really like you know initially gruff looking mean looking black dude right and then you find out like, oh he's like he's like this because like oh he's a real musician he's got soul like he's he hasn't sold out you know <laughs> like right. And you have Space Beyonce, who is, like, implied to have sold out, but is, like, so fucking good at her shit that, like, it doesn't really matter. And, like, I feel like, I don't know, um. maybe it's the intention, or or maybe it's that it's my personal taste. But, like, the two tracks associated with those two characters, I was very much more into. I remember while I was watching. They're better than, uh, better than Erdogan, anyway, right? <laughs> yes, I was watching, yes, definitely uh, better than Erdogan. I was watching it with Zig the other day. And when yeah. uh, Space Beyonce did her song, what's, what's her actual name? Crystal? What's it Crystal? Crystal, uh, I Zig think. was yeah, like, really... if this released today in the UK, it would be a like top five hit instantly. Yeah. I mean, I, well, that's the thing, right? I think Crystal's song, I'm not going to say Crystal's song is fucking amazing, but it's a very solid like pop track, like an R&B-inspired pop track. And like, you know, hence the comparisons, you know, Space Beyonce. Mm-hmm. But like... Right. You know, uh, I mean, again, and maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's because, like, you know, this is the track where you can clearly tell, like, or Skip's track is clearly where you could see the influence from Flying Lotus. Like, yeah. And so, again, these are, you know, these kind of hip-hop and R&B and pop tracks are slightly more in my lane. So maybe that's why I'm more, like, positively inclined towards them. But also, maybe this is me wanting to believe that this is Watanabe trying to be like, oh, no, don't worry. Like, there's going to be good music at this show. This is what it sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I guess it just feels like these two episodes felt like a step backwards to like me. Narratively, yeah, I would, I would agree. Like narratively, we, I think, especially seven, because seven they go on. Oh, seven got talent. That's a fun episode, though. Uh, yeah, so, so it, yeah, no, seven like it's, is a, seven is a space TV episode. <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. Let, yeah, let, I, I didn't. I do. There's there's a little bit more I want to talk about on that because <laughs> basically they go on America's Got Talent, right? Yes, or whatever, yes. or Mars, Mars has talent, or whatever talent. you want to call it. And um, again, I feel like this is a step backwards from what they were trying to tell us before. Where now they're now they're getting famous instantly. Um, and but there, it, it was a fun episode. There was a lot of fun things going on, and they they try to drop some heavy stuff in the back half of it too. I guess, yeah, with, uh, with the which, implications of uh, Angela's, uh, yeah, Angela's, and we learned we learned a little more about Carol's backstory too. Yes, uh, yes. which I feel like that stuff is, I guess, kind of needed uh, to make the the series feel a little more substantial, but also just kind of felt like out of nowhere right. uh, All in right. this episode. So, but so hear me out on this then. I, I, I'm going to say that I think in a vacuum, in a vacuum, I think episode seven is in a lot of ways close to what I would actually kind of want from the platonic, like the platonic ideal version of Carol and Tuesday. And the reason for that is like, yes, it's a little, it, yes, it's wacky. The premise is wacky. We're going to fucking go to this big audition but, like, there's, what you get as a result is, like, you know, this really funny, like, again, space dandy-esque comical and sequence. Then it leads into, and then it leads into, like, genuine character stuff, like, heartfelt character stuff between right. the Carol and Tuesday. Like, I think they had a conversation that I think I actually needed from this show from a long for a long time is, like, what is Carol and Tuesday's actual relationship? Like, right. you see them meet up in episode one, they hit it off and become friends, and then... Kind of just if you been look hanging at, out... Like, 
Yeah, the, <laughs> they've been basically side characters right, for like, half the, past the show. Episodes, how much of Carol and Tuesday actually talked to each other? Like, not that much, actually. It's mostly just like, the, hey, let's they, write a they song. They are a unit. Okay. They are a single character unit called Carol and Tuesday. Speaking different. Right. Like, right. Like, I feel like this is the first episode in a while where we finally had Carol and Tuesday being like, oh, this is why we're friends. Like, this is why we get along. And I think I really needed that. And I think that, like, moments like that in a vacuum are what would make episodes like episode seven, like, what I want out of this show. You know, the uh, the wacky, like, get-rich-quick scheme, I'm not as into, but, like, in terms of, like, point-by-point, point, like, presentation of, of plot beats and, like, how they're executed, uh, I do think that uh, episode seven is really solid in that regard. And I think the reason why, you know, Jell, at least in your case, you're kind of feeling more down on it, though, is because outside of Vacuum, in context of being the seventh episode of Carol and Tuesday, it's kind of like the third or fourth in a line of, like, weird, like, overarching narrative missteps. Yeah, like, are they going to fail the competition, or is this how they're going to get famous, which is going to betray the whole built up thematically that we've had it's kind of a like affectation to get them in conflict with angela right right i think that is the actual point of all this like yeah this is a two core anime so i assume what's going to happen is like it's going to be like actual america's got talent or whatever where like you know carol tuesday are going to get into the semifinals against angela but like you know angela will just barely pull out ahead and get the record deal right like you know, like, still, like, gets the attention of, like, somebody important just because, you know, they made it that far, right? Like, right. You know, that's going to be the actual... That's probably where we're headed, and then, right. Look, man, in a lot of ways, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just, like, fucking Megalobox. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, like, Carol Tuesday, it's all about their final showdown with Angela, you know, at, at the end of all of this, and it's just about all the fucking musical fodder we throw in between them, so... <laughs> <sighs> well... But, uh... My feelings clear on Megalobox before, so. Uh. <laughs> I will say one last thing. One last thing that I think contributes to your point, Jill, is, again, I feel like all these get-rich-quick schemes, like, I think maybe some of this is indicative of, again, I, I keep hating this. I, I keep, I hate to keep saying it, but, like, Watanabe's, like, maybe slightly out-of-touch, like, nature with, like, what the music industry is. Oh, totally. Where it's like, oh, yeah. like a musician gets big through talent shows and Burning Man. Like, yeah. like, my dude, have you heard of SoundCloud? Have you heard of YouTube? Like, yep. I'm not even, you know, again, I have thoughts about SoundCloud rappers, but like... <laughs> it's a thing, though. But it's a thing, and it is a... And here's the thing. It is a completely valid way of making your career in 2019 as a musician. In fact, yeah. like some might argue that for an indie musician, it is the only way to make your career. You know, if you don't want to deal with like the, you know, the fucking moral compromise that are labels, you know, like. But so like the idea that like in fucking 2300 on Mars or fucking whatever, the like at least someone like Roddy has not again, Roddy, who took a video of them that went made them made them go viral. Like the fact that Roddy of all people has not just suggested, why don't you just upload your songs to SoundCloud? Or like even right. to your Instagram, to your like, Instagram account like, or something. Yeah, like you put a photo on Instagram. Just post a video of you playing on the streets on Instagram, dog. Like I'm again, I'm not saying playing the social media game is easy. I'm not saying it is always viable. As somebody who is currently trying to do that and failing miserably, like let me tell you, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a guaranteed scheme, but like the fact that the show doesn't even like entertain the concept 
Like, like Roddy's Roddy's connected enough to get a retweet. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can put the video up, get the retweet. And I mean, look, go. if before Carolyn Tuesday had like almost burnt down Erdogan's house, like I feel like instead of I, I feel like the, you know again this speaks to like Watson Ivy sensibility because I feel like the actual like my cynical take on how Carolyn Tuesday would actually like rise up in the music industry is. Roddy would just be like, hey, Erdogan, can you do a favor for me and like retweet like this Instagram post exactly. about girls playing yeah. music? That's and then, you know, Erdogan would be like, nah, cool, ask my secretary to do it. And then you see, right. a, you know, at the real Erdogan, like 2300, like, yo, yo, <laughs> check out. Like 2369. He definitely right. has a 69 in his Twitter handle. Right. Yes. Like, you know, check out <laughs> like these cool chicks on Instagram. Like, that's how you would actually do it in the modern day era, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, this is the guy who referenced through his titles uh, th- this week, uh, the band and Peter Frampton. So, God, fucking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even hating on these on these tracks. I'm just like, <laughs> but yes, he has not made a musical reference past 1989 on these episode titles oh yet, God. right? So, yeah. Uh... <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we we got a lot of that show to go. So, yeah. I mean. By the end, I, they may have they'll, maybe they'll turn their things around. I'm just getting yeah. more frustrated with it, I guess. Right. I, I just want to make it clear. I think I'm still enjoying it. I'm still, you know, looking forward yes. to, to week. I'm still watching it. I'm still no. there's still a level that I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it at, but I, I just feel disappointed that I I feel like it could be so much better, and it's yeah. Not. I mean, I think that's what we've said. Like, it's Watanabe directing, so like, for better or worse, it gets held to a certain standard that like, you know. You I mean, the pieces are there if too. you had not been saying, "Well, nobody's going to save anime." A month, like two months ago, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, yeah, I did not say. I, know, I did not I know. say he was going to save the, anime. The, the general you, not the you specifically. But, but I mean, I, I, don't, were, I don't think yes. anyone was saying really. Well, I mean, I wasn't saying that. I think I know, people were know, saying, "Oh, what's Nabe doing an anime about music? Like, what could possibly go wrong?" <laughs> you oh. know. I, that sets me up, Iro, because you know who I did say would say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's move along. Right. To, Noted uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the director. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. So he also is directing a little show called Sarzanma, yeah. uh, which we can talk about. Which you know, Kappa Kappa are basically turtles, right? <laughs> Can we can we can we make the connection? Yeah, no, I I think I think that is accurate. Yeah, like they're like turtle, they're like half turtle at least. I mean, would you call a kappa closer to a frog or a turtle? They're they're like it's like both because they like they have a shell on their back. I I would say turtle. So so if a kappa if a kappa is half frog and half turtle, and a teenage mutant ninja turtle is half human and half frog. I mean, it's, Wait, it's the same amount of human. They were sprinkled with ooze and mutated. Half human, half turtle. You mean they're humanoid? Yes, that's what I meant. Yes, so they're humanoid turtles. It's about the whatever, same, man. Close enough. <laughs> well, whatever. Are these kappa? Are they also in a half shell? Uh, turtle power or half shell? Yeah, pretty. I mean, pretty much. Yeah, but uh, so we had uh, episode six and seven of Sarazan. My, I, I, I don't know if you've caught up. I have not seen episode seven. I've caught up to episode six. Okay. I am still not watching this show. So uh, six, I thought was really good. Uh, they kind of cashed in a lot of the plot details and everything, and and kind of cleaned up some of the stuff going on with the main kid uh, Kazuki mm-hmm. and his uh, troubles with his brother. So you know, we kind of had. 
his, which it was interesting because we're we're only at the halfway point, and we I feel like we've mostly tied up his thematic. Right. That that was kind of my question of after episode six is because the whole gimmick is when they uh, fuse when and when they Sara's on my to uh, defeat the monster, like some of their deepest darkest secrets are revealed, and like everyone's sordid backstories have already been revealed at this point. Uh, it's like what's right, left to reveal that, on a plot yeah, level. I've done enough of them at this point. Uh, episode six, because I don't even, I don't think they, because episode six was a little bit different. They went off the script because like his brother gets kidnapped and everything. Um, and they kind of set up, I'm not going to get into all of it now. You can go read they my post stuff on episode with the, six. The, the, the otter cops. Yes. Uh, Looks like so, they will graduate from being just the, the graduate from being the reader repulsa and start being more active in the plot. Yes. So, so basically we, we established that you have the, the Kappa as the supposedly good guys, I guess. And the otters as the bad guys. Did and, you just say otter cops? Yeah. Yes. Like well, otter the, cops. Well, they, they, I mean, they, they look like humans, but they're working for the otter empire, right. which, which right. the otters so, are, I guess, so, are the natural. Right. My understanding is uh, like, uh, like all, like many myths, Kappa have a you know a foot in reality, and my understanding is like the creatures that were often mistaken for Kappa or were river otters. Is is my understanding? Yes. Sure. Okay. So yes. of course they're so the, in, 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 in the Kappa or something. I don't know. Yeah, Saravaz on my they've they've decided to use otters as the the bad guys, and so the uh, the hot cops that we've seen throughout the show. Are working for the otters. I'm not entirely clear if they actually are otters or not. I don't think they are, based on episode seven. Okay, but um, they are working for them, uh, and we haven't really. They've been like the the most mysterious element up to now. And like Iroh said, we're kind of switching over to them taking a stronger part of the narrative because uh, episode six kind of ends with a flashback where I guess they were there when the otters destroyed the Kappa Empire or whatever, and the guy with the glasses basically dies um, <laughs> at, at right. the end of episode but six. But he's alive because he's got, he's got the like, clockwork heart or whatever in the, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> so like, like when you see their, when you see their big song and dance number and the guy like pulls out his heart, that's, that's what's keeping him alive. It's like some kind of mechanical sure. heart thing. And they, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you care if I spoil this I mean, in episode seven, uh, but hmm. you can probably piece together Go ahead. A little bit of it as to basically they're they're being forced to do the 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 zombie kappa thing to keep the the glasses guy oh, alive. Okay. And um, so they they have uh, and so and uh, they do show in episode six the 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 the, the other guy is looking for Kepi, the who's the the kappa prince guy that makes the the the, the hope yeah, dishes yeah, yeah. that grant your wish so he's you can kind of put two they never say it but you can kind of put two and two together why he would be looking for the hope issues now okay yeah yeah uh so that's kind of that seems to be the plot we're moving into for the second half uh episode seven does also um episode seven does also end introducing uh kind of spinning it back to uh toey the the blue hair kid the delinquent Uh kid his uh it kind of toward the, 
Yeah, the drug dealer kid. Toward the end, his brother calls him and says he's in trouble or something. And I think that's that's also I think those two plot lines are where the okay. show's going to go. Just just kind of interesting that like the stuff that happened, like episode six was very good, and it felt like that could have been like the last episode of the show, right? <laughs> oh, but huh. we're but we're uh, we're still going. Uh, so there's still some stuff to get into. Um, I won't spoil the Sarah's on my episode seven, but there are still some, uh... Um, but I am enjoying the show. Generally it's straightforward. I can follow what's going on. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to, I do want to hear what you think, Iroh, because you know, as we've discussed, you have not really been into Ecohara's works before. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. It's, it's fine. Like I don't think I'm pulling any like particularly deep meaning out of it necessarily. Uh, as I feel like I'm expected to with an Ikara show or something, but uh, I'm able to follow what's going on right. and I'm enjoying the like stock footage spectacle. Right. Yeah. Yes. They, 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 we got a break from the stock footage in episode six, but they brought it back in seven. So we get that whole five minute block of recycled animation uh-huh. every week. But um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, as far as, you know, you're talking, if you're talking about meaning, like I said, I I would suggest just go reading my post on episode six where I talk about the they, they introduce a new element to the whole like connecting through desires and they start talking about connecting through love and how that's right. different. And I think that's kind of the I think that's kind of like the main like meaningful theme that they're going to. And I, I kind of talk about how and I think most people have kind of interpreted similarly, you know, the nature of desires being selfish and love being unselfish right, and, right. and how that's 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 kind of the lesson that Kazuki learns in his right because they like and we'll kind of see how the kappa the kappa zombies like kidnap people and suck out their desires and like that kills them or something or like erases them from existence but if it, if the desires are out of love and not out of desire then they then it doesn't work or something right they reject yeah they like reject them basically like it's not going to work um, which we learn with uh with Kazuki and his little brother because, you know, they're, they're family and they, they, they have love and not, it's not just, you know, a desire thing, but uh, yeah. So there, there is, I, there, you know, there is some substance to it, I think, sure. but it is like we were saying, it's, it's the most straightforward Ikuhara anime. Like, you, like, you with can me. Pretty, like there, there's some, there's some, there's some weird things going on, but you can kind of piece together what's happening. So, um, so yeah, once again, I have to recommend if you've if you've ever been in, even slightly interested in his work, this is probably a good time to jump in. Um, okay, yeah, I mean, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll have to see if they can keep up because I did very much enjoy Kazuki's story as kind of being the heart of it, and I don't know if I'm invested enough in the hot cops to accept them as like the main driving force of the plot yet, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> this only be this only being a one core show from yeah. what I understand. We're like three fourths through. Uh yeah. Somehow. There's only, there's only like five episodes. Y'all ready for the next season? So time. Hey. Oh, hey. Can't be worse than this one, right? <laughs> yeah, I haven't even I don't I haven't even had time to look yet, although I'm gonna have to soon. Because June's, yeah. June's the June's final bastion, yeah. So we're actually, I, are we gonna have to do a preview next? Uh, maybe. Episode? No, I think I it's two more. Calendar. Right? 
Uh, yeah, it's gonna be right? two more. I think it's oh, maybe one more. I think it's one more uh, and then the preview. No, no, no. I think I think it'll be two because we usually do like the preview and then the first look, and and the first look is uh, gonna be like a, yeah. I guess when you put it like that, yeah, that probably. So I think I think we'll have one more episode for this season, and then we'll go we'll do preview. No, oh, that's what I said. I think we have one more normal one. Oh, of these right, and then we gotta do uh, we gotta do final. All uh, right, final impression. I don't oh know. Boy, if... The final impressions. Isn't of... it usually preview, final impressions, yeah. first impressions? That's yeah, I don't know how that's, that's going to work. Oh, yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of the yeah. podcast on tape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let, so, let's... I think with all that <laughs> yep. said, uh, we're going to call it the podcast. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, time for yeah, some basic housekeeping. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep our internal uh, affairs uh, internal. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, housekeeping. Go ahead and uh, read everything uh, that we write on the, at theglorialblog.com. And like I said, including to my sirs on my coverage for more detailed thoughts on that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at theglorialblog. You can check out uh, this podcast as well as our other podcasts, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, where we're watching slash rewatching uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, the three of us, and uh, Legend of the Glorial Heroes, where G and Iroh are uh, watching the Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And you can check all that out on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Podbean. We also upload to YouTube. You can uh, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Please subscribe. Uh, I feel like we haven't shilled that in a while. And uh, <laughs> so tell your friends, tell your enemies, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Bye. See you later. Oh,